Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Prime Philosophy Podcast. Go to primalosophy.com to maximize your aliveness. My guest this week is author of the most well-known and trusted relationship book of all time, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. USA Today listed his book as one of the top 10 most influential books of the last quarter century. His books have sold over 50 million copies in 50 different languages. Today, he comes on the podcast to talk about his latest book, Beyond Mars and Venus. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with Dr. John Gray. All right, John, thank you for doing this. I've been looking forward to having a conversation with you for some time. I thought I could start with me telling you how I came across your work. So Fantastic. yeah, a while ago, I was leaving a Phoenix hotel and they had one of those little libraries where you take a book, leave a book. And I just so happened to leave Daniel Quinn's book, Ishmael. And I picked up Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And I dove right in. And at the time, I kind of felt like I wasn't in that serious of a relationship. I wasn't really looking for advice. So I put it down, but I picked it up recently and everything really resonated with me. And I feel like I learned a great deal. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. So you say these days women are embracing their masculine side and men, their feminine side more than ever before. What is it like now, like kind of navigating these challenges? Well, first of all, you picked up Beyond Mars and Venus. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's the new one. I, I wasn't aware. I thought it might have been Men from Mars, but no, the new one is very relevant to today. And what it means when men are more on their female side, let's just understand that correctly. Uh, it means that they're more emotional reactive. You see, if you go back in time, uh, men didn't really have all this emotional reactivity unless they were in a violent situation, a high, high stress situation where uh, they didn't have confidence. So then what happens is when you lose confidence, meaning I tried this, it didn't work. I tried this, it didn't work. My, my life's in danger. Uh, what happens in the brain is the, the front part of the brain where you make decisions, uh, that turns off. Literally blood flows to the back part of the brain, uh, to the stress center. And uh, it, what happens is instincts come into play. First, conditioning comes into play, which is why as a fireman, you have a lot of training because you're in this high stress environment and the training gives you confidence that, okay, automatically I know what to do. But if you don't have that automatic training, then you'll go into instinctive mode, which is, you know, this is the, the brain has evolved over millions of years. You know, this is the cells there are similar to, to the cells. Uh, the DNA is the same as uh, lizards. Uh, cold-blooded. Okay. Uh, then you get up into the middle part of the brain. The DNA is more like a monkey. And then you get to the front part of the brain. And that's where we can actually make choices. We can make decisions. We can create a new way of doing something, you know, like a creative strategy and so yeah. forth. So you've got these three parts of us. And what happens is that we're in high stress. The, um, the brain goes down into the instinct part and men become emotional. Uh, that means they get defensive, they get argumentative, they get angry. And uh, the reason for that is coming back to your basic thing, which is men being more on their female side. What I mean by that, we all know what it means for women to be on their male side. They're all wanting to be independent. You know, look what I can do. I, I don't really need anybody. Uh, and that really messes with our relationships as well. I'm not saying we turn back the clock. You know, the book is about let's find balance within ourselves. But the, the a shift took place in your generation. Uh, it started, in my experience, it started particularly worldwide 
back in the 60s when, you know, guys like me, I became a hippie and grew up my hair, you know, got kicked out of school for wearing bell-bottom pants, if you can imagine that, you know, and long hair until I had to cut my hair and go back to school. Went to the California for the summer of love, you know, all those kinds of things. Sex, free sex. The women were all into being like men. Let's all have sex. So okay. they're, all, they're all like, uh, you know, some of them were flower child, but a lot of them joined together. We're going to become CEOs. We're going to be independent. We're not going to be dependent on men anymore. So uh, that's women being on their male side. And men being on their female side is, you know, I want to enjoy my life more. I want to have more fun. Uh, I don't want to sacrifice my life so much. So that, that sacrifice, and again, a fireman really lives this life because you're putting your life in line, that is actually a huge testosterone builder. Whenever you're selfless in service to others, that's mm. testosterone. And men need 30 to 50 times more testosterone to have well-being, whereas women uh, need more estrogen and progesterone. These are female hormones. And so when women are too masculine, their female hormones go down and they're not happy. Right. And when men go too far, their female side, their emotional side, uh, basically want to play, have fun, whatever, too much, then they become high estrogen and their testosterone levels start to go down. So, so are you saying that, just to interject, are you saying that we're no longer accessing that, that side that's of being of service to our partners as men? Well, that's what's happening is okay. men get very, uh, you talk to women, you'll see my husband's either passive <clears throat> He gets grumpy, he gets irritable. And I'm not talking about the first few years. In the first few years, there's a, a newness to the relationship and a challenge in the relationship, which stimulates a lot of dopamine. Okay. Dopamine for men increases testosterone and lowers estrogen. Right. So, and, and what happens is, and we'll get into it, because when you're fighting a fire, when your life's in danger, if you feel danger, your dopamine levels go to a very high level, just like a soldier in combat. And so what happens is when your dopamine levels go to a very high level, it feels great because your testosterone comes up and you feel like a real man. Okay. There's something about being a real man. It actually is hormonally based. Uh, it's testosterone goes up and it's not taking hormones, although that's, it, it, you want to make the hormones. That's the real key to this whole thing. Right. So when you, uh, and, and ironically, if you take if you take testosterone, you can see what happens to these builder bodybuilders. Their muscles increase, but then also they get man boobs. Uh, that's because when your testosterone goes too high, it will convert into estrogen, really? and then you start becoming irritable, road rage, anger, and all that. So it's not healthy to take testosterone. Ideally, it's it's important to learn how to make it. And relationships and great sex can keep a man's testosterone levels very, very high. So maybe uh, dopamine is fine, but when it is triggered for too long, too often, is that when it becomes trouble? It becomes trouble. And you're right. I didn't get to that part of it. You get what, what you'll see in it. Let's take an extreme version of our vets who are in combat. What happens is the dopamine levels are stimulated so high, it's like taking cocaine and it's addictive. It, what it means to be addictive is that you need a high in order to experience normal pleasure. In the beginning, the pleasure of taking cocaine is, wow, this is amazing. But after a while, taking cocaine is just to be normal. 
because your brain adapts to high stimulation. It says, if you're going to give me high stimulation, then I'm going to adapt. So I depend only on high stimulation and low stimulation, which would be not dangerous activity, doesn't right. give me any pleasure. So, so does that kind of go hand in hand with the fight or flight response and burnout? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay. So every time we're simulating the dopamine response, we can also kind of, you know, consider that we are getting into this sympathetic state. That's exactly right. And then what happens when you're in that state a lot uh, is your neurons in the brain. Let me give you an example. They did one study that I, you know, back in the eighties when I saw this study and it's, you take cocaine, which is a huge, the first time you lose 30% of your dopamine receptors. <clears throat> now they will grow back. That's what they said. But you, you, they will like little flowers, they will close up. Think of it like your, your pupils and your eye. Uh, when you get bright light, they close down. Mm -hmm. Then you go into the dark, you can't see anything. Uh, then you slowly they open up and then you can see more in the dark. So your brain will adapt. It just adjusts. Oh, you're going to give me high stimulation? Then I'm going to decrease the amount of dopamine that's produced in my brain. So now you've got low dopamine when you're in the dark, low stimulation. So you crave the high stimulation. It makes you feel alive as right. opposed to when you're having sex with your wife. That makes you feel alive. That okay. should be the most alive experience you have. But a lot of couples, it becomes boring. It becomes flat uh, for a variety of reasons we can get into because we're talking to mainly guys here. Uh, I mean, sex is the answer to our lives. Okay. <laughs> okay. It, it is the ultimate. Okay. And, uh, but we got it. We got to also generate enough sexual skills so that the women want to have the sex. So right. <clears throat> there's reasons why they stop wanting to have sex. If, if you look at, and this is the trauma of today, which is, uh, when women are on their male side, uh, will say too much, uh, that, meaning they're not on their female side, their body doesn't make estrogen. And when the body doesn't make estrogen, they can't have orgasm. Okay. And if you can't, if she doesn't have orgasm, then your body goes, you're not doing your job. Right. Uh, basically, it just says, okay, get rid of you. Testosterone levels over time go down. Uh, but then you go to porn sites and that woman, you've never, you know, she pretends to have an orgasm and porn stimulates much higher levels of dopamine than a real person can ever stimulate. Uh, it's, it's basically, let me give you an example. <clears throat> this, this whole condition we're talking about is when we look at children, <coughs> we call it ADD, which, which means that they can't hold their focus on something that's not that interesting. Some kids, they get jiggly, their body, this is just too boring to be in this classroom. I want to use my muscles. Another child will become distracted and their mind just goes somewhere else. You know, any married man knows <clears throat> your wife starts talking for a while, your mind goes somewhere else. That's ADD. Okay. She could be talking and you're like right there. You don't hear a thing. <laughs> That's because right. your mind just went somewhere else <clears throat> because what she's saying isn't that interesting to you. It's a low dopamine stimulator. Now, porn, sex is a high dopamine stimulator in the normal range, but <clears throat> not nearly as high as uh, pornography. Why? Because when you have porn, you have no history of failure, okay? It's kind of like a new woman. You haven't failed yet, so you feel like, okay, now she loves me. I can do it. I'm great. 
But okay. once failure sets in, she's disappointed with you. She gives you a hard time. She's trying to improve you. She's dissatisfied with you. That stuff starts to come in. It dampens. It's a history <clears throat> that dampens your testosterone. But let's okay. even say that you have the perfect wife and she's always giving you love and you feel successful with her. The truth is after three or four years, the newness wears away. The relationship becomes super safe. Super safe, <clears throat> excuse me, super safe is low dopamine stimulation. Remember, danger is high stimulation. Okay. Newness is high stimulation. The reason newness, it, you know, something being novel is the word for it, but it's new and different, like the news. People want to watch the news. It's because anything which new and different is actually dangerous, even though you don't feel like it's dangerous. But if, hey, if I've never encountered this before, is it dangerous or is it safe? So there's always that question. Uh, right. You go, you want to create a little romance in your marriage, you go somewhere new and different. That will stimulate a bit more dopamine, which pumps up her estrogen, pumps up mm -hmm. his dopamine. <clears throat> so there, there's a lot to unpack there, John. It, yeah, it seems so like if, if we can, talk for a second. yeah, if we can understand our hormones and we can better understand ourselves and how to contribute to our relationships, right? So like you touched on dopamine as far as today's generation and the effect it's having on our testosterone. So is that because we are having these constant dopamine hits from external stimuli and we are just running through our, our dopamine and we're constantly activating, you know, cortisol, which is the antagonist of testosterone? Yes. Well, cortisol actually, when you have high dopamine due to danger, testosterone levels will go up, but then when the cortisol level starts rising, then your testosterone being up will start converting into estrogen. That's the okay. man boobs, okay? That's where you'll start getting more emotional. Think of it like uh, you're in danger and you're cool, calm, and collected. That's because you're trained. You know what to do. You're a line trainer, you're a fireman. Okay, I'm doing this thing. Your adrenaline mm -hmm. is pumping, but it's not cortisol. There's a difference between adrenaline and cortisol. Okay. Adrenaline, as long as you're solving the problem and you're confident you're solving the problem, particularly if you're using muscles, by the way, right. then your body makes adrenaline and uses it up. But if you, if you don't have, what, as soon as you lose your confidence, that's where you feel anxiety. That's where you feel fear. That's where you get emotional. What's happening there is that high testosterone is now converting into high levels of estrogen. Okay. And that estrogen just goes higher and higher. So the key to it is in our relationships is how to get the dopamine levels back to normal. And one of the ways we kick it out, and this is part of your job, if you're a fireman, uh, you're going to get those super high levels. And so what you need is to balance it with low levels and low levels will help those receptor sites open up. Think of it like the pupil. If your eyes are in the sun, the pupil closes down. If you, they start to close down, you will tend to feel not so great. So what you do is I want to go back up into the light and that just closes your pupils again. So we keep craving that stimulation. So if you have just been in, if you have high dopamine stimulation in your job or you're one of these guys who watches porn all the time, that's high dopamine stimulation. It's higher than a real woman. Why? Because there's no history of failure, one. Two, is she showing a naked body to you without any restraint? Your brain doesn't know the difference. And three, there's no, there's no um, serotonin. Now, serotonin is the counter to dopamine. 
Serotonin is, ah, oh, I'm so relaxed, I'm safe, we're intimate, we're close, I know you. Mm-hmm. I don't know you is still high dopamine. That's why, you know, sometimes couples will say the sex was the best in the beginning because you really didn't know each other. It was new and different. Well, right. she's new and different, and we don't have any serotonin, and we're not physically touching. When you physically touch in foreplay, what happens is that makes a hormone called oxytocin. And oxytocin generates estrogen. And estrogen keeps testosterone from going too high. But when you have porn, basically you've got no touch, you've got no history, and you've got no serotonin, which is familiarity over time, no intimacy. Then all you've got is this one thing and your dopamine levels just shoot up. So a lot of guys can't get it up with their wife but you can turn on porn and it goes right up. And it's literally like saying, I'm really bored with my life, but I like my cocaine. Mm-hmm. Or like a child saying, I don't wanna eat broccoli, I just want desserts and video games. Okay. See, it, it used to be that our children, you'd say to them, I want you to eat your broccoli and that makes mommy happy. Then the child would go, okay, I wanna make mommy happy, so I'll eat the broccoli and the broccoli tastes good. But as soon as you start giving them lots of sweets and lots of video time, that bumps the dopamine up much higher than the dopamine that would come from mother being happy with you. Right. See, we all want our mothers to be happy, our fathers to be proud of us. That's a big dopamine shot. Right. But when, when our brain is changed due to high dopamine stimulation, then it's no longer, a, the parent's love and approval is no longer a major uh, motivator. So now the mother says, okay, if you eat your vegetables, I'll give you dessert. Or they say, if you eat your vegetables, I'll let you watch the video game or TV or whatever. These are high dopamine stimulators, higher than a mother's love. And this is what's happening worldwide as the electronic age has come in, as the uh, high carbohydrate diet has come in, the desserts, the sugars and all that. So we're having all kinds of parenting problems. Just... uh, you know, the only way parents can get their kids to do stuff is they, uh, well, they used to threaten them, which created dopamine and motivated the children. Okay. Now okay. we give them sugar, which gives them dopamine, which is terrible for their health and also desensitizes their receptor sites in the brain. Wow. So, so we're basically rewiring our brain to have these, these expectations or these goals that are unrealistic that we cannot reach. Right. 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 We're, we're basically, exactly, and we want immediate, immediate okay. gratification. That's another aspect of ADHD type brain is you, you have no sense of, you need high stimulation and then it will drop off, you need it again. Kind of like if you eat one potato chip, you gotta mm-hmm. eat another or one chocolate chip cookie. What yeah. those will do is they give you a surge of dopamine which then drops down and now you're bored and you're flat because you don't have the receptor sites functioning. It takes time for those receptor sites to come back up. And that's mm-hmm. what a good night's sleep should do, is helps you bring those receptor sites back up. That's what action and rest is the cycle. So if you have high dopamine stimulation, then you need to have a balance of low dopamine stimulation. Right. And then those receptor sites can come up. But there's a period there which we might call withdrawal. And withdrawal is where you experience emptiness or some people experience despair. Some people experience um, annoyance, uh, restlessness, discomfort. Right. And, and that's what you have to go. I, I have to go through that uh, uh, to get back 
those receptor sites. It's kind of like if you like to eat and then you go for a day without eating, what's going to happen the next day when you eat? The mm -hmm. food tastes like fantastic. It tastes fantastic because you didn't stimulate yourself with food for a day. Those receptor sites, taste receptor sites start opening up. Dopamine receptor sites start opening up. Yeah. And suddenly we feel great again. I fast quite regularly. Uh, I now have a, um, you know, I'm what, 68 years old. I want to keep my brain working really well. And so basically... There's a diet that I do, which is I just don't, I basically only eat dinner. I have a cup of coffee in the morning. I have tea during the day and I have dinner. Uh, when you have a good 15, 16 hours of no food in your body, that also upregulates the dopamine receptor sites. Right. That's a really good one. Uh, I try to, you know, I have my coffee, but I try to dilute it and I only take it before lunch. After that, I just do tea. You need to keep giving your body something but it's not a high stimulant. Right? Oh boy, John, you're giving all these, all these hipsters in Silicon Valley more fuel to uh, promote their dopamine fast. Oh, is that what they're doing? The oh dopamine? yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's real hot right now. Tell me what it is. So dopamine fast is pretty much, you're taking, you know, a break from you know, mainly your, your iPhone, you're taking a break from social media and all those dopamine hits you're getting. And also, like you said, from food, that's going to give you that dopamine response and other activities. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what it is. I didn't know they call it a dopamine fast, but that's a great term. I like it a lot. I'll, I'll use it now. <laughs> so going back to when you mentioned that, you know, most of these issues are the first couple years, right, of a new relationship. So what is it that stops? I mean, because you said, is it that we're seeing things with fresh eyes and we're present and we're listening? And then after a couple of years, the hedonic treadmill sets in and we stop listening and we're future that's planning good. and we're pa regretting past events instead of just being there? Because... The newness is not there. Whenever you got a new naked body, it's like heaven to, to our brain, okay? You got the highest dopamine level is a new woman who wants to have sex with you. And talk about a dopamine fast, I'll take it further. Uh, this is the best dopamine fast, not, not the, for me, 34 years of great sex, okay? And I have analyzed you know, how it works. And I'll give you some research on this because it's, it's a dopamine fast. It's just like if you go without food, then when you eat food, it's spectacular. Right. If you go without sex for six days, that means no ejaculation for six days. On the seventh day, it's spectacular. That's the secret to great sex. People think, oh, I'm trying to have sex three times a week or two times a week. It becomes boring and flat. And then they start stopping. Half marriages in America don't have sex at all. Mm -hmm. uh, this is like it goes down, down, down. I say to people, you know, if you're having great, great sex, okay, have as much as you want. But if you find that you're, you're not having great, great sex, the cure for that is six day dopamine fast and then have sex on the seventh day. Now, where I got that idea is, uh, is Japanese did a study on men and their testosterone levels. And after they have sex on Saturday night with their partner, what then happened is their testosterone levels will drop down from what they were when you have sex. You have to realize when you have sex, they go up. Then they drop back down. And for six days, if you don't ejaculate, for six days, your testosterone levels will slowly start to increase. And then on the seventh day, they double. You get this big, big, glorious hit of <clears throat> great testosterone because your body kicks into gear. It's the same partner, 
same relationship, but it's not like the big dopamine rush, it's testosterone will just double. There's some sort of cycle in a man's body that says, if you didn't make a baby, we're gonna make you make a baby. We're gonna give you all this extra testosterone to make the baby. Not that you have to have sex, but you ejaculate. So you ejaculate just once a week and you do it in a setting <clears throat> which doesn't artificially raise your dopamine, which means it's not a porn release. If you're a single guy, you wanna keep your testosterone high. You wanna release only once a week, six days apart, on that seventh day, so like say it's Saturday night or something, and you don't do it to, to porn. You will naturally feel, I gotta do this, and then you release yourself. Right. And, even, and then you wanna practice, and this is a practice for most men need to do this. You have to practice you know, taking like 30 minutes to come. That means go really slow. You just stroke easy and you practice restraint so that you can not get in the, in the, the uh, habit of just releasing very quickly. Okay. Uh, that, that's not a healthy thing. You need to be able to go for at least 30 minutes. And then when you have sex with your wife, ideally you can go for like 10 minutes, rest a little bit, 10 minutes, rest a little bit, even five minutes, rest a little bit. That's part of the ancient ideas of different sex positions is the man would do intercourse for a little while and you kind of hit a little peak and then it starts like being like the same. That, that's called the plateau. Now most guys, they have this arousal state. It goes up, excitement, excitement. Then it, it plateaus. This is the Masters and Johnson. It's basic sex education. When you hit the plateau, it still feels good, but it's not increasing the pleasure. You know, So in the beginning, it's like you're all hot and excited. This is amazing. It feels so great. And now it just feels good, okay? okay. And then it feels good for a while and you keep, keep stimulating while you're feeling good, your body will build up a tension and ejaculate. Instead of building up that tension, it feels feel good, then you stop. Then just relax, slow it down, slow it down. Kiss a little bit, hold each other a little bit. And, <clears throat> and then what you do is the, the arousal will go down and you don't try to do anything to increase it. It will come back stronger. And so what you get is a wave of arousal, a wave of arousal, a wave mm -hmm. of arousal. And each time you're building your body's capacity to experience more and more pleasure. Right. Uh, this is to be able to maintain pleasure without having to build tension. And this works for the female as well, right? Well, here's what happens for the, yes, it works great for the female because mm -hmm. it generates desire in her. You're the master of her when you have sex. She's receiving you. And what happens is she starts getting really excited and men get really excited and they come. And she could, ha she could have like 10 ways before she can have a real big orgasm. Uh, they take a lot longer to build up generally. There's women who come very quickly, but they don't experience this full body excitement. So what you do is you control her orgasm by not letting her have it. Every time you slow it down, that will increase desire in her. Because for us, the objective in sex besides you know climax and whatever it's really her climax we're satisfying mm -hmm. her and it's in, for us to eventually get to the place where desire becomes less for us we walk around with desire we see a naked body and you just like desire is creating tension which you then have to release so for us it's to pass the desire onto her the more she desires you the less you're going to be uh, experience the tension of desire 
So you can right. last longer and last longer and last longer. And that's basically so, the same mechanism behind teasing one another as well, right? Exactly it. That's yeah. teasing each other. So let me, let me interject real quick. So I, I understand the mechanism behind the dopamine fast for a week, no porn, no sex. But what about those couples out there who are listening right now who are like, we do that anyways, you know, on accident because we don't have the desire anymore. Oh, you mean they don't have sex at all? Right. So it's like, hey, we've been doing that, you know, on accident and we're not trying and it's not working for us. It's not increasing our desire or our, the, the, how often we're having sex. Okay. So what, what's happening there uh, is they stop having regular sex is what happens. We'll take that case. Okay. We'll take the more extreme case, which is they just stopped having sex. All right. So they're not generating that desire to have sex. So what you do is you do once a week, you do something called start from zero. Now this is standard sex therapy right here. Is I want you to get in the bed, you, could, you don't have any desire at all, and you basically just touch a little bit, you're touching bodies, and the objective at that point is not to touch the man. He can actually keep clothes on, uh, because what you wanna do, the start from zero means he has to stroke her clitoris. He touches her body, gives her a little massage for a while, he doesn't have any arousal or tension. That's okay. The objective is not his climax. The objective is her climax. Uh, <clears throat> and that will happen after a few weeks of him taking 10 minutes or 20 minutes to stroke the clitoris with some kind of uh, lubrication, coconut oil or some kind of lubrication is after a little bit of touching. And in the beginning, it may not even feel good for her to be touched, but the clitoris has one function in the body and that's pleasure. So when women have stored resentments and stored resistance to their partner, disappointments, too much stress, or they're too much on their male side, they can't, they can't enjoy, that button doesn't work. You get the opposite effect, which is it creates this feeling of any feeling she's holding inside, she will actually start to feel uh, when he's stroking her, her clitoris. And that's why couples don't get into bed. If she was to suddenly become aroused, she'd feel how, how angry she is with him. <laughs> okay, so do we have to jump right into that? Um, or can we just start with like a massage? No, you can start with a massage. He okay. gives the massage to her. Right. But you do jump into that pretty soon. Okay. Okay, because, you know, five minutes of a massage or whatever, but then you go there for 10 yeah. minutes. Well, it just sounds okay. like it could be a little bit awkward for couples who haven't, you know, had sex in a while to just lay down and try this, you know, without building yes. up to that. Nicely said, nicely yeah. said, absolutely. Right. Uh, you, you start with he, but the whole key to that is he is giving to her and she is receiving. Okay. It's not, she has to practice not reciprocating and giving anything to him. Because okay. generally speaking, when women can no longer climax, okay, what they're doing, they're too far on their male side. Now, this is paradoxical because it's the opposite of what people think. When you're giving, you're on your male side. See, the, the, the male is the giving energy. I'm taking care of you. Now, we know a mother's taking care of her child. It seems to be a very feminine thing, but actually she's giving but receiving so much in return. She's okay. balanced. That's why it's a very powerful thing for women to have babies. They're on their male side and on their female side because receptivity is feminine. I'm receiving and masculinity is giving. So if the man is giving and the woman is receiving, then she's going over to her female side and that will awaken his desire for her. 
all it takes is for a woman to be turned on to you and your your desire will increase okay so you're touching her and stimulating but it could be several weeks before she opens up to be more receptive now once a week is fine you could do that one three times a week that's just like an exercise and touching so that her body starts to warm up and the she starts to feel the resistance there's a group of uh i you know i got this idea as a therapy technique it's not uh start from zero is standard sex therapy but this other one there's a group in san francisco they spread out around the country they're called oming uh, she wrote a book called Slow Sex, which is a great book for men to read. Uh, just understand how to go real slow, because that's what women need. I mean, you just have to realize they need like uh, 10 times more, you know, slowness than man naturally goes. After a while, it changes if she's really into the cycle of having orgasms and orgasms. It doesn't take so long. But she wrote, a, she started a center called Oming, where she took women who can't orgasm and said, okay, we're gonna train you to learn how to orgasm. And so they practice having 10 minutes oming, they called it oming meditation. They later changed it to 15 minutes, where a man, four times a day, the man would stroke her clitoris. And he had his clothes on, she had the bottom part of her body taken off, um, the clothes off, and he would just put her in his lap and, and stroke her clitoris for about 10 minutes. And then eventually it turned 15 minutes. And they would discuss while they're doing it what she felt. So she was able to articulate, feel her resistance. You know, this doesn't feel comfortable. Now I'm remembering something. <laughs> I didn't okay. like this or didn't like that. You know, that feelings will come up, you know. And, and, but if you can't have an orgasm, it's because there's negative feelings down there that need to be acknowledged and felt. So that's one form of therapy wow. uh, that you can do. And, okay, so uh, there's, there's the, the oming and the, and the clitoris therapy. That's yeah. this. I'm sure this is so taboo that a lot of people are probably jumping off. But let's. This <laughs> all those tips are great, right? But it's what about? Make, I'll give you another aspect of that. Now, this is without getting into the sex part of it. Another thing that can open a woman up so she can start to enjoy sex from zero, and it will happen faster. Is that just giving the massage, saying loving things to your partner, going through the motions, even though you're not turned on. Mm -hmm. It's just pleasure. It's learning to feel pleasure, even if it's not sexual pleasure. That's a, a, a key to that. The, but in my book, which you read in my book, Beyond Mars and Venus, I talk about Venus talks. Now, Venus talks is another way for her to express the resistance in her body. When women talk about their, when women talk about what's going on inside of them, that's intimacy. Intimacy is see inside of me. Now, the most powerful intimacy, for example, teenagers experiences is when you tell a secret. You know, good friends, they, particularly women, they, they wanna say their secrets, things that they don't say to anybody else. Because you have to realize our clothes keep our body secret. The reason we get so turned on, we take off our clothes, is simply because now I'm telling you, I'm showing you my secret. Okay. You're, going, you're getting what nobody else gets. Mm -hmm. And that's this sort of private place inside. So that's physical intimacy. My book is all about emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy is not the man revealing everything inside of him. It's the man penetrating into the woman where she reveals what's inside of her. And that's the theme of my work for the last 30 years is the power of this is men learning how to listen and show interest 
but men don't know how to do that because when somebody, particularly a fireman, <laughs> you know, you, a woman's upset, we want to put out the fire. Right. And what, what I'm saying is, but you spray oxygen on it. <laughs> right. Well, that's what every man thinks is when there's, when there's an issue being brought to their attention, they want to offer a solution. That's and that's right, probably well, the greatest takeaway of your book is that, you know, the vulnerability and the venting is great for women, but men should avoid venting until they're around, they're around other males, like at the firehouse if they're working with mostly men. That's right. That's right. And men can handle it. And also it's, and I think uh, firemen know that, which is you can also make jokes about it. Is that true? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think there's two places in this world where you can get away with pretty much anything, and that's comedian, stand-up comedy and at the firehouse, for the most yeah. part. Right. And, and that's the way men deal with trauma. Mm -hmm. It's not the only way, but it's a way you got to lighten the subject. So men want to lighten up. And that's why when women are upset, we want to lighten it up. Sometimes we'll make a joke. Oh, I'm just joking, or I'm just kidding. That's terrible to do. Okay. Uh, they take it the opposite. And another one what we'll do is we want to fix it. Well, don't worry about that. Well, I'll fix it. I'll handle it. Well, that's not a big deal. So what's the point? What do you want me to do about it? You know, there, so this is restlessness. When we see a fire, we want to put it out. Right. This is an every man, you know, and it, I just have to say a dumb joke. We all have our own personal hose. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> put out the fire. Topical. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, but it's, it's a terrible joke. <laughs> no. So, I mean, I'm just curious, why is it because women, when they vent, they're accessing their feminine side and their, and their estrogen and they're kind of rebalancing. Whereas when men do, we are accessing our feminine side and we're throwing everything off balance. You summarize things so well. Thank you for keeping me on track. You, that was absolutely it. So okay. why, why increases estrogen in women? Okay. women all day long when they're on their masculine side, or even if they're parenting children to some extent, when they're on their masculine side, giving, 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 they can't, they're not sometimes even aware of what their reactions are inside. And so they're pushing it down, they're pushing it down. So all day long, emotional reactions, emotions, frustration, disappointment, anger, fear, concern, worry, these are all these emotional responses. And they're all, when you express them, it increases estrogen. So throughout the day, to be successful in the work world, she has to push that down, you know, and it's seen as weakness. It's seen as, you know, if a woman says, I'm scared, we go, well, then you can't do the job. We'll find somebody who's not scared. But she's quite capable, possibly capable of doing the job. She just, her first reaction is, well, I'm afraid. Doesn't mean I can't do it. Okay. But so women have learned in order to get ahead, you've got to push these emotions down. When you push, and, and also women have learned, well, I'll just stick with that. They push the emotions down. And in psychology, what we know is that when you push emotions down, they have to come up somewhere. Okay. They will build up and build up kind of like a volcano. And the place they come up to is the place where she feels safe. Okay, so her husband, she married him because she makes, he makes her somewhat feel safe. So when it comes up, it doesn't come up saying, you know, I got 15 things that upset me today. It comes up as like, you know, why did you leave your boots on the floor? And you think I have to pick them up all the time for you? So something that might be a little annoyance becomes a bigger annoyance because it's the accumulation of 15 things. Right. Imagine 15 upsetting things. An upset is kind of an emotional charge. And okay. if you don't release that emotional charge, then it builds builds and then it looks for some reason something logical 
to be upset about. And it will look at the husband and say, well, you didn't call me. You were 10 minutes late. Well, I was worried about you. Or why didn't you say this? Her reaction to you from your perspective is totally unreasonable. It's an overreaction. You can't say to her she's overreacting. She can realize she's overreacting on her own if you give her the space and in a sense, an empathy to express what is going on inside. Unfortunately, this is the bane of our existence today, which is that women don't accept and acknowledge this is their stuff, okay? It's just psychiatry understood this about 40 years ago, and then after the result, every husband would say, oh, honey, you're just overreacting, you're just overreacting. So it's very hard for women, they feel so dismissed by it, it's in our culture, that, that they can't just freely say, you know, hey, I've got a bunch of stuff, I just wanna vent it, and then mm -hmm. I'll feel better. So right. that's what we, my books help women to sort of own that in a way of being able to say to their husband, I just wanna talk about my feelings, you don't have to fix it, you don't have to solve it, I just need to talk about it and I'll feel better. That's, right. that's a key to it. So the women are basically saying, you know, at work all day, I was accessing, you know, my, my masculine side and with the testosterone. And now that I'm home, I really just want you to shut up and listen. And you say, okay, that's great. I am here to listen to you. And yeah. maybe is it okay sometimes to say, it sounds like I do have a solution for you. Are you open to hearing that or never yeah. do that? Uh, there's a place where do you want, are you asking for a solution? But you what, and that's fine to do. I do want a suggestion, you know, are you open to a suggestion or are you fine? Give her the option to say, are you fine? Like it's okay, okay to say, because she doesn't want to reject you, you know, I mean, I have an idea, well, I don't want to hear it, you know, so you want to set it up, are you cool without it, you know, are you fine, are you doing okay, do you need a suggestion? Certainly you can do that, but here's the thought with that one. It's not just passive listening, okay, because some women just feel that's not good enough. So they, they need some kind of reassurance that you're actually hearing her. So you, here's three sentences that a man can practice. One is, help me understand that better, okay? okay. So help, and make little noises when she's talking. Don't be totally silent. Uh, that's scary to them, because they're thinking, what's he feeling? Does he think I'm overreacting? Does he think I'm being a bitch? Does he think you not love me? Do you think I'm being too needy? These are all her fears. And, and you will think that unless you get this is what they need uh, in order to feel happy again, okay? This is, just, I'm, I'm serving them in some meaningful way here. Uh, then you don't have that judgment come up because that's the most important thing is you're seeking to understand the variety of things that are upsetting her and dismissing the idea that it's, even if she thinks it's all about you, because sometimes they just get upset with you <laughs> and, right. and, and just go, what the, what the fuck? Why is this happening to me? You know, just like, wait, I'm not such a bad guy. You know, I'm the guy. <laughs> you just think, how can they do that? But right. it's because you're safe that it just comes up. But as, as you, you say, help me understand that better. And ideally, she can talk more about her day than less will be on you. That's the great thing. But when, when she does be upset about their day or you or whatever, the kids, just the key thing is we have to do something as men. It's standing there doing nothing is, is hard for us and hard for her too. So engagement would be help me understand that better. Okay, tell me more about that. And what else? Those are your three phrases. Help me understand that better. Uh, you know, tell me more. What else? 
sometimes pauses and, and just hold back from giving those solutions. And she'll generally pop up with more things to say. And, you know, some men say to me, oh, John, if I show interest like that, she'll go on forever. And, and that's been their experience. And I said, no, that's been your experience because she'll talk and there'll be a pause and you'll give a solution. And then she starts all over because mm -hmm. when we give a solution, what our intent is, is we're trying to explain to her, there's no reason to be upset. So we've just invalidated her. Right. And uh, even if your suggestion is great, there's this great video on YouTube called, it's not about the nail. Have you seen that one? No. Oh, it's so funny. It's not about the nail. Uh, I, it seems like I'm spoiling it, but uh, you'll see it's still great. Yeah, I, I think you're no, I think I know where you're going with that. Yeah. It's this woman, <laughs> she's complaining to her husband and he's listening. She's like, oh, there's so much pressure. I feel so much pressure. The camera pulls out and there's a nail in her forehead. <laughs> and he just says, you know, honey, I think if we pull it out, oh, there you are again, fixing me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it does go to extremes like that. But with that being said, I mean, people fight. So these are tips on basically how we can fight fair and towards a common goal. Well, this is not fighting fair yet. Okay, let okay. me do fight fair. Okay, so fighting fair is if a woman is emotionally upset and you get emotionally upset, that's fighting. Okay. Arguing is different. Okay. Having a discussion about something, a different point of view. Okay. So You're say we've made it there. Say it again. Say we've made it to that point where we are past, you know, holding punches and it becomes a little bit more emotional and egos are involved. Right. See that the place, the danger zone is not when she's upset. The danger zone is when the man is getting upset. As soon as you have any anger, any aggressive feeling, any defensiveness, a tone and I, you know i'm a kind of a sweet guy okay nice guy whatever but there would be a point where i'm in an argument and i thought i'm still being nice you know i'm making my point i'm being right but she would go into oh you're being mean and mm -hmm. i what do you mean i'm being mean it's just crazy you know but so they have a different sensitivity and their sensitivity can also be due to their past and not you they could just be oversensitive when it comes to a male wanting to be right and pushing right. uh it's literally like it's a you know they're softer you know punch a woman in the stomach it's gonna in the breast it's gonna be very different from punching you in the breast so you have to yield to the idea she has her comfort zone and you have to become aware of it so what i told my wife anytime you start to feel not safe uncomfortable threatened by my tone of voice we have a code phrase Okay, now some couples don't like my code phrase. It's because I, I told her, just say you're being mean. And because I've never ever been mean in my life, <laughs> I don't get plugged in by that. But for some guys who maybe have a history of losing control and being mean, it activates them. So it's not the best phrase for everybody, but you have to work out a phrase and it can just simply be hand in the air. And as soon as she puts the hand in the air, he says, okay, I, I'll take some time and come back and be more loving or I'll try better to be more loving. She right. just goes like that. He has to obey that stop sign or she could say, okay, I need to go. And she walks away. Now, if I wasn't aware of all this and my wife just says, well, I need to go. I would do what women do. What do you mean you need to go? We're in the middle of a conversation. You can't just walk out of here. You know, this is what couples do. Mm -hmm. Now, Women do it more than men because my thing is, when I notice that I'm starting to get annoyed, irritated, defensive, this is what evolved into, then I did this, which meant that I'm going to take a time out.
And even so now I, we should, is this what brings us to cave time? Yeah, this brings you to cave time. Well, cave time is, is, is even if you're not upset with your partner, cave time. You need your cave time. You need your cave time. Right. But if you're upset with your wife, you really need cave time. Okay. Because okay? you got, as soon as you know that you're getting irritated, annoyed, restless, first of all, know that anything you say will not be heard by her. She can't agree with anything you say, period. It's worthless conversation because as soon as she senses anger in you, you've gone to your female side out of control. That means she's going to go to her male side and defend and be right. Mm -hmm. She has to be right. She has to make the right. And so she's just rigid. She's not going to hear you at all when she goes out of balance. That's such a, I love that you brought up that point about when you get angry, you're accessing your feminine side because it's so true. You know, the angry fighter is a winless fighter, regardless of how many times he wins the fight. Tell me more about that. I like it, but I do well, like it. I mean, you know, it's just basically like saying it doesn't matter if you win. If you get angry, you, you know, I'm not a betting man, but if I have to bet against somebody, I'm always going to get bet against the man who's angry. Because I you have it. lost, you, yeah. you've lost. You are like, a man, you should be in control of your emotions. Where does that come? I talk about this when I'm in Asia, that this was all known that, you know, the samurai warrior never ever gets angry. Mm -hmm. If he gets angry, he's a loser. You know, he doesn't have control of himself because whenever you get angry, if you're a man, you've lost your confidence and confidence mm -hmm. is masculine energy. Well, Trust. just reflect on that. Have you ever been happy and angry at the same time? I don't think they can coexist. Right, nicely said. I see said, well, I will give an exception to that. One time I was angry about a school teacher mistreating my child and my wife's, and I was really angry about it. And my wife's mother said, well, you're just going to have to accept that not all teachers are perfect. And I said, no, I'm angry and I'm happy about being angry right now. So I was being very righteous at the moment. But yeah. generally speaking, just to know that anger is an emotion, a strong emotion that comes from a surge of estrogen in a man. Right. And if you're in balance with your male and female energies, you will feel loved. Okay. Uh, you will feel a sense of selflessness. Uh, that's why when a woman has an orgasm, she literally brings you to that level of, you know, her happiness is my happiness. I mean, it's such a great experience of bringing us to the place of selflessness. But if, if you're having sex, and it's all about her satisfying you, it reverses the energy. Then you become the female. She mm -hmm. becomes more masculine and over time. So my policy with my wife is, you know, basically I never, I don't ever want to have sex with you if you're not into it. Okay. Now that becomes, when I was younger, I said, well, let's have a quickie. And then I realized too many quickies, it had an effect. We set up a policy. It's in my book, Marzina's in the bedroom that, just so men never feel rejected in sex, that a woman can say, you know, he's in the mood, she's not in the mood. She can always say, well, let's have a quickie. Now, that freed me from feeling that I was going to be sexually rejected. Because if a man senses he's going to be rejected sexually, it suppresses his sexual desire. All it takes is two or three times where you're in the mood and you, you initiate sex and she's not in the mood. It's such a vulnerable thing. It can now create a sense of anxiety around sex. Oh, well, she, you know, you come home and you go, is she in the mood? Is she not in the mood? You're kind of like checking the weather report instead of the way you were in the beginning where you felt so free, you know, every time you want to have sex, she wants to have sex. Mm -hmm. that's, she's got all that nice dopamine too and lots of estrogen. So she's always in the mood. But once serotonin sets in and comfort sets in, she's not always in the mood. And so you, you start to go, oh, 
and now you're regulating and you're holding back. So having quickies was a good turnaround in my relationship. It brought, after about seven years, it brought back strong libido, but then it started going down again because I was having sex and she wasn't enjoying it. So okay. there's another place where you really get to the higher levels when you, when the woman is enjoying sex as much as you're enjoying sex. So you got to regulate it so you're never more excited than her. And, and it, it's natural in the beginning, when you're starting with sex, you'll be more excited than her. Unless you're having regular great sex, then she's the one who's excited. But generally speaking, you're more excited than her. So one of the techniques is notice what happens when you're aroused besides getting an erection is that your breathing will change. Okay, it automatically happens, kind of like you're having an adrenaline rush, you know, you're in a, in a danger zone, your breathing will start to change. So what you do at that time is you just notice your breathing before you do anything. Just be with her in that breathing space until it settles down, okay? Then you're calming the whole situation down. So your desire isn't like building up all this tension because this automatic breath uh, is a wonderful experience if you just mm -hmm. let yourself go into that you know most people don't even notice that their breathing has changed because they're so focused on the penis whereas you just go into the breath for a little while until it automatically sort of subsides your desire and tension will lessen and then you can focus more on her pleasure giving her and now, she'll probably it, admire that seeing that you check your emotions for better communication yeah, yeah. completely it's like when a guy is the two places, when there's anger, I'm gonna take my time out. And when I'm more aroused than you, I'm gonna go real slow, I'm gonna relax, okay? Mm -hmm. These are like two major areas that you can focus on. And I wanna say something, if it was women listening, this would have been a wonderful thing for them to hear, but I'll, I'll say it to it. Just, it's part of how I grew in all of this, is, you know, my wife had tremendous wisdom as well. And uh, one time when I started, I just said, you know, I just, I'm starting to get triggered. That was another phrase we use. I'm getting triggered. Uh, I just need some time to think about it and we'll talk again. Okay. And I walked away. And this is one of the first times I just walked away right in the middle of something. And then when I, I did something to raise my testosterone again, that's cave time, whatever makes you feel good as a man that's not releasing your energy. Uh, you could exercise. For me, I meditate. That's a really good one for rebuilding the dopamine receptor sites. Uh, but you can, you know, play a video game, just do something to forget, temporarily forget what happened. Then once you feel good, your testosterone's back up, you're feeling confident and successful, then reflect on how you contributed to that problem. And then you feel your love again. It's really hard for men ever to feel love if you feel victimized. That's right. just another one. Whenever you feel you're a victim, you're on your female side. When you feel that you're accountable, and that you created the problem, you're on your male side. That doesn't mean you're not a victim. I mean, somebody punches me, uh, you know, I got a bruise, okay, I got bruised. But now, how did I contribute to putting myself in that situation where I got, where I got pumped, uh, hit, and what can I do to avoid it in the future? And mm -hmm. at a higher level of that is a place of compassion, which is why did that person even do it? You know, that's mm -hmm. where understanding the, the human psychology helps us so that we can seek to find the goodness in someone when they misbehave. Okay. Uh, uh, but, but the whole story was based around this one point that happened where I pulled away and then I came back and I, we didn't start having the conversation again. I just came back, was more affectionate, more helpful. 
kind of like everything was fine. You just have to come back like everything's fine now and you have to live in that stress-free zone before you approach whatever conversation triggered you. Now, what she said to me that changed my life was when I came back, I just sort of gave her a little hug. Hi, honey. And like everything was fine. She said to me, John, I want to thank you for taking that time out so you could come back with more love. I really appreciate it. It makes me feel safe. Right. Now, that to me is a revolutionary concept for women to get. Why? Because most of the time, a man instinctively in the middle of an argument will start to walk away. It's a very male common thing just to say, this is bullshit. I don't want to talk anymore because instinctively he knows it's not working. You know, I mean, we have this thing, if it's not working, stop. Women have an instinct that says, if it's not working, we need to talk more because talking more would produce more estrogen, but only if they feel heard, only if the other person relates to their experience. Mm -hmm. So, as a man, we're not going to ever fully relate to a woman's perspective. To some extent, we try to understand it and we can be there, but we're not going to easily relate to it, particularly if we're in fight or flight. It's just impossible. Right. So, so there's no, a big difference there between the way that you did it. You said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm triggered or I'm having this emotional response. My intentions are I'm going to go have my cave time and try to, you know, regroup so I can approach this using reason instead of storming off and going to get a whiskey or going to the pub. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. Okay. And it, it's, it's really good to not just go get a whiskey at that time. It's good to go do something with your muscles or mm -hmm. with your brain where you're solving problems. Now, okay. the, the, I recommend uh, any transcendental meditation is a good technique, but there could be many, many others. If you're a Christian prayer, uh, you know, it's, whatever your thing is that you do alone that makes you feel really good other than masturbation. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So maybe go to the gym or like you said, meditation, walking, whatever it is that you can yeah. find your peace of mind. And, and or, or if you've got a cool car, go drive your car um, and play some music. It, basically, you're distracting yourself. Now, this is the opposite. This is where psychology has ruined things. It helped things and it ruined things. It tried to feminize men and still does is like you should immediately go talk about your feelings and you shouldn't you need to come back to where you feel confident that means your testosterone has come back up then the emotions may still be there to some extent but they're not going to dominate you then you can talk about it if you still have once you're feeling good i'm doing good but i still got this angst then talk to a buddy talk to a friend but don't talk to your partner until all negativity is gone and all right. victimness, that feeling of victim has to get out of you. And you come mm. back to this place of who you are when you proposed to her, when you proposed to her, you're the guy who said, I'll give my life for you. You know, I'm here for you. And you know, it, it's kind of a bummer because you say, I'm going to be, I'm going to do this job for you, but I don't get paid. I mean, <laughs> that's the whole thing for us men. We're always given, but we just, when they don't appreciate us, but we have to realize that, they can't appreciate us if they're not on their feminine side. The world has done this thing to women now. Women have led the charge to make women more masculine. Our job is to help her come back to feminine. And of course, understanding, when she understands that she needs a man to help her come back to femininity, not by becoming a female and talking about his feelings, but more about listening to her, understanding her feelings. And it's not like I never talk about my feelings to my wife. 
I talk about what's going on when she feels safe and in a way that makes her feel safe. You know, you can always ask for your partner to change. You know, I'd really like it if you did this, just not too much change. And from a place of, I'd really like it if you do that. The other day, I know you, you know, my wife learned to do this with me. You know, she used to always complain to me, oh, you leave the lights on, you leave your shoes around, you think I'm your maid or whatever. And she realized that was just putting me down. That's castrating me, you know, just knock it, just pushing me down. So then what she did is she started doing it a little differently. She said, you know, I know many times you turn the light out, but sometimes you don't. And I really appreciate if you do, you know, our, our bill's really high. And so she always buffered it and she didn't do it too often. Okay. And what I did is, you know, it was a little thing and I feel a little defensive because I'm not a perfect guy. I get a little defensive. What would happen is I'm looking at her, she's looking at me, and there was a feeling like I'm supposed to say I'm sorry. But the truth is, I'm not sorry. It's such a little thing. I can't generate the feeling. <laughs> I'm feeling a little defensive. Because mm -hmm. see, when men get a little defensive, you disconnect from your emotions. That's our first response to danger. If you make a mistake and your partner calls you out on it, that's danger. So our first response as men to little danger is detachment. So we've all felt that, you know, when, when they're, you, you start pulling away into yourself and you have no emotion. That's the first reaction men have. And so when I pull away, I can't feel I'm sorry. And so I, I but she'd be wanting me to say, you know, something like some acknowledgement, I'm sorry. Right. So I'd say, okay, I'm sorry. And she said, but you don't mean it. I go, it's true. <laughs> I don't, I can't, you don't feel it. She'd say, say but don't you oh. appreciate my honesty? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> No. So what I did is I found an honest response that, that wasn't about feelings. Mm -hmm. It was the response is, okay, I hear you. And that was it. And okay, I'll hear you. Sometimes I say, I'll try to remember. And that's okay. okay. And I remember I was coaching somebody the other day was one of these people who was just never happy. And she said, uh, yeah, he said he'd try. Trying's not good enough. You got to do it. You know, it's like boot camp, you know, military. It's like, they give you that talk. I don't want trying. I want the real thing. Get it yeah. done. No trying. You know, I said, you know, life could be that way in the boot camp if you want. But in my marriage, I don't want that kind of that much toughness going on. It's just not loving. It's not yeah, something. for sure. So is there an equivalent there? Like, has your wife found her version of cave time? Yeah, yeah. That's very, very important. The version of cave time for women is a social life. Okay. Okay. A social life is where what you do is based upon what you want. It's very important. You're not doing for anybody. It could be two women who want to make dinner together because they like to feel the support, but you're not doing it for somebody. Uh, uh, you're doing it because it's what you want. And that's very important. This is selfish time for her. And what the biology of this is, I used to, you know, I wrote books, I called it Me Time. Uh, my daughter, Lauren, has these classes for women, and she has a whole big thing about how to create me time. It's not very popular in the women's knowledge out there, which is women need to balance work with me time. Time for me, bubble baths, going for walks in nature, give yourself permission to be selfish. You know, now what we see happens is, this is very interesting, it's really only uh, biologically speaking in terms of women's hormones. Uh, they have their period, then for five days, their estrogen levels are slowly increasing and their testosterone is at one of its highest levels. So they feel more independent, but also they feel estrogen, which makes you dependent. 
Say estrogen is the hormone that says, I need you. It can be, I need you to give me an orgasm. I need you to be the father to my children. I need you to pay my bills. Mm -hmm. I need you. You could be a doctor to someone. That's why women go see doctors more than men, is that it stimulates estrogen. I need you to survive. Okay, whenever a woman feels dependent, estrogen levels go up. Now, what's interesting is that's a biological need for her well-being, is that for five days, she doesn't really need so much estrogen stimulation. But for the next five days after her period, that's 10 days after her period, that's when her body will ovulate. That's when she can get pregnant. At that time, for those five days before ovulation, her estrogen levels need to double, okay? Need to double. Now, if they don't double, she feels like I missed a meal, okay? She feels like I'm missing something. My body's not satisfied. I need, I need that stimulation where I can depend on somebody for five days. So during those five days, her estrogen levels rise. And of course, the biggest estrogen stimulator is romance, good communication, man listening, and giving her an orgasm. That's when she can have the orgasm the easiest at that time. She can have it at other times, but that's when it's vital to her to have that orgasm at that time. Now, after those 10 days, her hormones change. And for well-being, she needs less estrogen. She still needs estrogen, but she needs more progesterone. Now, progesterone has been proven to lower women's cortisol response if it's during that time after ovulation. So if a woman is unhappy quite often, if she's still hormonally cycling, it's because she's looking for more from her husband after ovulation, because she didn't have her orgasm. She's looking for more from her husband, but her body needs more progesterone, which is time for herself. Right. But she's still looking for him to do it. You cannot give a woman that extra juice when she's needing more progesterone, unless she does something to increase her progesterone. And they call that, in psychology, the behaviors that women can do to stimulate progesterone is what's called social bonding. Social bonding, that means hanging out with girlfriends, that's their cave time, mm -hmm. talking on the phone to girlfriends, uh, it can be singing in a choir, it can be doing artwork, it could be in the garden, where basically she's doing it for herself. She's not in this nurturing mode of doing it for you. That's her male side. It's what she's in this mode of doing something for herself. She needs that time. But the problem is, is if she doesn't get that spike of estrogen, that orgasm around ovulation, then for the next 12 days when progesterone needs to be dominant, she'll be looking for more estrogen and feel like not satisfied. Okay. The, the imbalance that women go into, very common, if you counsel women for 40 years like I have, they're always saying things like, I give and give and I don't get back. Now, what that means is I'm masculine, I'm masculine, I'm masculine, and I'm not getting to my female side and they're victims. And they always blame the man as opposed to focusing on, well, I'm a grown up and I'm capable of giving myself what I need. Right. And that's the progesterone. But here's the catch with this which is if you look at the biology, which I studied the biological studies, when a woman makes progesterone, uh, she makes it from a substance in her body. But if she makes testosterone, that testosterone uses up the progesterone. So how does a woman make testosterone? She makes progesterone and then it turns into testosterone. So when she's doing fight or flight activities, 
during that 12 days after ovulation, she basically can't make enough progesterone. And so her estrogen will be dominant. And so she's unhappy. And that's called overwhelmed. Right. They feel, and, and so when, when they can't get what they need, this is another problem for them, is they feel like if I give more, I'll get more back. The reason they feel that is because if a man gives more to a woman, she will instinctively feel obligation to give back. This is how women are. You give to them, they go, oh, it feels so good, I wanna give back. It's actually that giving back that brings her into balance. She receives, that's feminine. She gives back, that's masculine. Now she got both sides together. So her reaction is always to give back. Men, on the other hand, if you give them a lot, we'll just become passive. Okay. <laughs> if your wife is taking care of you, you go, she must be happy. I must have, see, we're right. thinking if somebody gives me a lot, I must have done something to deserve it. Right. Whereas women feel like, oh, you do something nice for them. Oh, I need to give back. You know, otherwise I'm being selfish. So we have these different sort of instinctive value systems. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's so is that like this might be silly, but could a could you hack that system if you're a female and say, you know, I know that this time of the month is when I should be having more social connectedness, so I need to schedule things. That's it. That's, that's okay. what she has to do, and she has to during that time of the month she has to check her thinking. When her thinking is, my husband's not giving me enough, it needs to convert into, I'm not giving me enough, mm -hmm. and if I give me enough my hormones will come into balance and I'll be able to appreciate what he does. And when I appreciate what he does, he will then give me more. Right. Men are fueled by, give me appreciation and I'm an unending engine. Okay. It's the appreciate, it's the applause, you know, it's, 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 I saved a life, you know, now you're a hero. That's what gives that high testosterone levels. Right. And what I have uh, noticed is people choose occupations based upon their hormonal needs as well. And a fireman and a soldier and a policeman generally are men, when they're men, they have a higher need for testosterone stimulation. So, you know, I, one of the interesting things for me was uh, I was teaching a class in Germany for the American army to the top brass. And they weren't that interested in me. They were interested when they heard me. It was their wives, because all their wives, they came to this convention, and it was helicopters everywhere, and tanks were protecting. All the high brass was there. And, and uh, I did a class for the men and the women, but I also did a class for the women. And these women were like really amazing women, meaning that they had all the positive traits that you'd want in a wife, because they didn't complain about their husbands, they held their husbands in high esteem. Their husbands were heroes and their husbands would also go away for long periods of time. So they knew that they depended on their community for their survival because any one of them could have lost their husband. So they never became overly dependent on their husbands, right. but they knew that their survival as a, as, a, as a community was dependent upon their husbands protecting them. That's the estrogen stimulation. You know, I have a mm -hmm. protector and I also have this community that protects me as well, which is the social bonding that went on between women. And so they were a tight knit. I was amazed. I had never worked with a group of women who had less complaints about men than these army women. Now, somebody pointed out to me, it was probably the army women of the high, <laughs> of the high brass because they also had their material needs uh, assured. I think maybe that was part of it too. Could be. It's yeah. all, it's all, 
pieces of the pie. But I just wanted to bring that out because they really held their husbands in high esteem as heroes. Yeah. And that's the role we men used to have. And we don't have it anymore. Our society's not giving it to us anymore. Not only that, but even though now when men have these jobs and they do, they can contribute where they used to be recognized for and admired for it. Uh, that kind of is going away as well. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, it, and it's affecting not just men, but boys even more. Mm -hmm. uh, last year I wrote a book called boy crisis. Uh, it's unbelievable when you actually look at the statistics of what's happening out there with boys, uh, a brief thing, they're eight times more likely to commit suicide in their twenties than girls. Uh, right. twice as many girls are graduating from college, uh, uh, than males, uh, women under 35 that don't have a child make 20% more money than men. Uh, all kinds of things are taking place. Uh, twice as many women do not want to get married as that. Well, twice as many, there's twice as many single people than 30 years ago in mm -hmm. relative to married couples. People just aren't getting married. Uh, women are dissatisfied with men. Women can't fall in love with men. It's a, uh, you know, as a marriage counselor, you just see a woman comes in. It's a long list of complaints. If you look at the man, basically what he'll say is, you know, the only problem we really have is she's not happy. Okay. Uh, we men are actually much more simple. You know, if a woman's happy, we sure are. We're, yeah. we're, we're good to go. Yeah. So let's talk about some lifestyle factors that can affect our relationships. Obviously, communication is key, but what about the chronic stressors that we're under or the sleep deprivation, for example, for firefighters or people who are working shift work? Okay. Well, what I would say, first of all, I want to say that the reason we don't sleep, okay, is the high levels of cortisol keep us, wake us up. We're supposed mm -hmm. to have a surge of cortisol at sunrise and that wakes us up. But what happens is if we're stressed, we tend to eat a lot of carbohydrates, which burn off that extra energy so we can feel more pleasure. You know, when you're in stress, you want to bump your testosterone up, your dopamine up, you know, it makes you feel good. You need to feel good. Anything, any, you know, alcohol uh, for, for some men, and sugar for some men, almost everybody, will bump up the dopamine. And what that does over time is, particularly the carbohydrates, the processed carbohydrates, it will cause insulin resistance. Insulin resistance means that your body can't utilize sugar efficiently. And in order to make dopamine, you need more sugar and more sugar. And uh, then the sugar, blood sugar levels go really high your body makes a huge amount of insulin and then your blood sugar goes way down. Mm -hmm. uh, that insulin converts that sugar into fat. So right. then now the sugar goes down. When your blood sugar goes down, it typically drops around three or four o'clock in the morning uh, when people have blood sugar issues and they wake up because when blood sugar goes down, you'll die unless your body makes cortisol to pump it back up. Right. So wake so up now, and go get something to eat. Yeah. You want to get a, something? Well, actually getting something to eat will help you fall asleep yeah. uh, because it will, it will at least raise your blood sugar without the cortisol raising your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's a blood sugar issue. And that's where we want to not, we want to, you know, look at diet again. If you do this, uh, uh, what do you call it? The dopamine fast when it comes to food, yeah, you know, 14, right. 15 hours of not eating helps to stabilize blood sugar in my experience and some research more than anything. Absolutely. Uh, and, but now what, what is very important <clears throat> is uh, mineral deficiency. When you're, uh, when you're stressed, your brain is producing a lot of brain chemicals, 
okay? A lot of dopamine's being produced. When high levels of dopamine being produced, you run out of brain minerals. The most important brain mineral that people under stress run out of is something called lithium. Have you heard of lithium? Yes, sir. Yeah, everybody's heard of lithium because they give it for people who have bipolar. bipolar right. Okay, it, that's basically ups and downs, extremes, extreme mm -hmm. dopamine imbalance. So they give lithium for them. Now, lithium is considered a drug. It's actually just a mineral. But what the doctors found is it only works if they give them toxic doses. Uh, so they give them like uh, 500 times the dose that your brain needs. Because if you just take lithium out of the ground, that's called lithium carbonate, it doesn't get into the brain. Uh, it only gets into the brain if it's in your food. And then it goes into the brain. Well, the food doesn't have as much lithium. The best is it used to. Uh, but the best foods to eat is lots of beets. Beets have the lithium. And it's interesting, nature puts the lithium in the beets because beets have the highest sugar content, or very high sugar content. When you eat sugar, it stimulates dopamine that depletes your brain of lithium. So beets have both the sugar and the lithium to balance it out. Right. But today, beets don't have as much lithium as they used to because we use pesticides and we grow our food differently than we used to. Right. So food is really deficient to some extent. But when we're high stress, we are running out of lithium. And <clears throat> the, the doctors give it and these doses so it gets into the brain. A German doctor about 30 years ago discovered that if you take mother's milk and a substance in mother's milk and you bond it to lithium, then you can just give in a capsule lithium orotate. Now lithium orotate bound to erratic acid that orotate will deliver it more efficiently into the body where it needs to go, into the brain. So all you need to take is non-toxic, tiny doses of lithium orotate, which is instead of 500 times the dose, which has side effects, because it's too much salt, it's a salt. If you take high amounts of salt, you're gonna have side effects. Right. Here, you're not having any side effects. <clears throat> so people get all freaked out sometimes, like, oh no, that's a drug. No, lithium orotate is over the counter. It's over the counter. It doesn't require prescription. It doesn't have any side effects. As long as you take the recommended doses and a range of five times the recommended dosage is fine as well. If you're feeling you've been under intense stress, then you need to do five little capsules a day for a few days and then cut it down to three and then two and then one a day. That's what I've been recommending for over uh, 22 years. Uh, Everybody loves it. And mm -hmm. now, now I, I recommend a lot of nutritional supplements, but it is the cheapest. Nobody promotes it like I do. Yeah, you don't hear about this very often. No, you don't hear yeah. about it. And there's a lot of misinformation about it. Uh, the competitors don't want you to know about it because mm -hmm. you don't need any of these other high dose psychiatric drugs. Right. Even it helps your sleep, it helps headaches helps stress levels. It's proven to actually regenerate brain cells. It creates more gray brain cells, which are in the brain. Other studies show it creates more white connective tissue in the brain. It wow. is a brain nutrient. And the problem with it, maybe the reason it's so dramatic is because the results are so dramatic because in our present society, stress levels are much higher. You see, if you, if you lived in feudal times, yeah, life was shit but you adapted to it. It was, just, it was the, daily, the daily thing. It wasn't new and different. 
Right. It's the new and different that stimulates the high dopamine. Even if your castle was under siege, well, it's for several months, you know, people are going to go around, they're going to, they're just kind of depressed, but that's it. They're not increasing the high dopamine level. Mm -hmm. We're getting new and different all the time, new and different, up, 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 stress, 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 stress. So the number one mineral that helps regulate and balance the dopamine and serotonin in the brain is lithium. Now, if you don't get results with this, and it's the cheapest, it's the very cheapest supplement you could buy, $8 for one or two months supply. Okay. So why would anybody promote it? There's no margin in it at all. Right. If you, if you have an antidepressant like Prozac or something like that, the margin is 5,000 times greater, 5,000 mm -hmm. times the profit in selling that stuff. Here, you're just getting a tiny little margin. Nobody makes any money off of it, but there's, there's, it's, it helps. It's not like a, a drug. It won't change you in any way. So let's say, let's say you, you're on an antidepressant, you're depressed your brain if you're just sitting in a dark room. It will affect your brain no matter what. This will not affect your brain in any way, except it will allow you to have a normal response to healthy stimulation. So if you took lithium orotate and you're just in a dark room and you don't have any friends and you don't talk to anybody and you don't do anything productive, it's not gonna have any effect on you. But if you have, if you're, you know, if you're trying to help serve people, if you're giving and receiving love, if you're challenging yourself, your creative talents, if you're, you know, basically fulfilling your emotional needs in some extent, it will, you'll get more bang for your buck. Right. Meaning if you're depleted in lithium, you can be doing all this wonderful therapy, for example, or being friends with people and doing good things, but you don't feel good. You just feel something's missing. Something's missing. It's never enough, never enough. Whereas this gives your body what it needs to respond appropriately to loving situations, positive situations. Absolutely. So, I mean, you can't discount just nailing the other lifestyle factors, proper diet, proper exercise, sleep, and managing your stress. And um, love. And, and love. Uh, of course. So I want to be respectful of your time. Before we go, you know, we all imagine ha having this relationship as romantic as, say, you know, a Frida Kahlo and Diego R Rivera. But in reality, this is rare. And it's companionship that seems to last over compassion right it's like the the flame of com of compassion is transient well, so you're saying compassion that's different from passion and now my message i've seen so many couples okay who have no passion and as a result they want to have a divorce okay. you see this oh we're still friends but we want to have a divorce you'll see people who want a divorce and they're very argumentative but the, all that argumentativeness comes from not having communication skills, but also not feeling loved. And sex is a place where you can feel very loved. So what you're saying is let's just accept that the passion's gonna go away. You can say that, but that's not gonna happen today. Your generation wants more. My parents were happy with contentment. Mm -hmm. Today, people do want more. And you can have more, but we must be realistic about it. And we must have the right skills for it. Remember the six day thing. Let me give one more little point. I appreciate you respecting my time. We're yeah. doing a whole seminar here, but I love doing it. Okay, so thank you. Yeah. Uh, the in psychology, the number one thing that gave birth to psychology was the idea of Pavlovian Pavlovian response, conditioned mm -hmm. re reactions. We are conditioned as human beings. We think, oh, you know, I don't like to go to parties. No, you're conditioned to not like to go to parties. This this is conditioning happens and we get 
they, they've been found conditioning is transferred through the DNA for seven generations back. That's a big study. Amazing. So you're getting your grandparents conditioning and their conditioning and pieces of it. Everybody takes a little bit of that conditioning. So we are conditioned beings. So we have all these reactions inside of us that are automatic that may work or may not work. But even if they don't work, we keep having them. They just keep happening, happening. And we have no ability to change the conditioning until we start using this brain and recognize that works, that doesn't work. Now let's bring in conditioning to sex. Okay, so when a man ejaculates in his wife, what will happen is his testosterone levels will go down. In order to rebuild his testosterone levels, he will tend to withdraw. That's why the standard time when couples have sex in America is Saturday night, and then Sunday morning, a guy withdraws into his cave and watches football, okay? This is like, this is our ritual that we do. Men pull away at that time. The Sunday is the day of rest, you pull back. Saturday night is the day where you give your energy. So what happens is every time a man ejaculates, what will happen is a woman's body has a conditioned response that when I orgasm, he pulls away. Over time, her body starts being conditioned. I don't want to open up because he'll pull away. So her body doesn't go that high. And so her body doesn't lubricate. She loses interest in sex because all sex does is causes her to lose the attention, the affection, the energy, the desire in man. We all know our desire goes away. Women thrive on man's attention and interest, which is motivated by desire. Suddenly he pulls away. Over and over and over, if that happens, she will close down and over and over and over, he will have a conditioned response that if, I, if I'm with my wife, my energy goes down. That's Pavlovian response. You take a dog, you give him food, he salivates. That's an automatic instinctive response. Ring a bell, then take away the food, just ring the bell and he will start to salivate. Automatic response. So after a while, a man comes home to see his wife immediately the bell that's the bell that causes his testosterone levels to go down that's his conditioned response how do you break that cycle well psychology also teaches us that if you have a conditioned response you can neutralize that conditioned response by having the opposite counter response that's once again why if you don't ejaculate for six days then you get sexual on the seventh day because your testosterone was doubled that doubling reassures her body that he pulls away, but he comes back. He comes mm -hmm. back stronger. He comes back stronger. So her conditioned response is, if I open up, he comes back stronger. And his response is, every time I come and see her, my testosterone levels double because it's such a new experience because it goes down and now, oh, thinking about sex, it doubles. If you think about sex on Tuesday, after having sex on Saturday, your testosterone levels don't double. So she is, again, not associated with this doubling, which counters the fact that you're going to lose testosterone afterwards. It comes right. back. It comes back. So that's another secret, a conditioned response for us in our day and age to be able to do something they've never done in history, which is to maintain great sex for a lifetime. And that's okay. also that's something that is possible but it takes discipline for men in terms of their ejaculation. It takes discipline in terms of going slow in sex, giving her time, also being able to penetrate her and give her orgasms uh, 
orgasms. That's another thing if you go higher is there's wonderful books on the multi-orgasmic man, the multi-orgasmic woman. These are fun things to try and experiment with, but you're at a higher level now as long as you control the ejaculation. Mm-hmm. Now, you, there comes a time now, and, and for me, uh, I've learned, and there's many books that teach how to do this, how to have orgasms without ejaculating. So then I don't ever need to ejaculate, which is a good thing at my age. It keeps you very young. It makes you always want to have sex. So I can have sex several times a week. Uh, My wife has orgasms many times a week because my ejaculation never ends it. So she never loses me because my energy is always there. This is a training that takes practice. It takes muscle awareness and so forth. There's books that teach this. And not necessary for everybody, but you know, I'm like really into the, the zest of what everything is possible. And I do happen to just love sex. And yeah. you know, if you can, if you, if you, if you don't ejaculate, then what happens is you continue to want to have sex. You can do it for you know, half an hour, an hour, and she has many orgasms. You have orgasms with her orgasm. Uh, your body shakes. You have all this experience, but your body doesn't release this, this semen. Yeah. So where should people go to learn more about that, those practices? I know that's more advanced, but. It is more advanced. Remember the basic stuff I mentioned. Okay. But then the more advanced is, uh, they tend to be more, more, a little bit esoteric. Some of them. Uh, One is a good book to read is Montauk Chia has written a book called the multi-orgasmic man. Mm -hmm. That just really gets you sold out on how long on this planet people have been talking about ejaculation control. Uh, That's always been throughout history. Uh, that's interesting. It helps motivate you. Then you can go online. There's an app. There's several apps to help train men's muscles to do this. Um, trying to think of the app. It's probably Kegel something. It's, it's Kegel and reverse Kegel. If you just okay. do a, a search for Kegel and reverse Kegel, uh, those are two of the muscle groups that you need to become more muscle awareness. Right. But I gave the technique actually before, which is we talked about it, which is going on the waves what happens is when you can, every time you get to the plateau, if you relax and then you build up after a few months of that, and then they don't ejaculate for a few months, you just go on those waves and you can practice this solo if you're single too. Then what happens is your semen builds up in your body. When your semen builds up in your body, your zinc levels, by the way, go off the chart. Zinc makes testosterone. So you got to get your testosterone levels up to where they're very, very high mm-hmm. because the semen is staying in your body. That allows you to experience higher levels of pleasure without tension. It's the tension that causes the ejaculation. Your body just says too much pleasure, too much energy, got to release it because you don't have enough semen in order to hold that energy. So the semen is like the precious life force. It gives birth to babies. That's Montauk Chia spends about 80 pages talking about how great semen is. So, okay. Yeah. You know, it, it's a little convincing. It really motivates somebody when you realize how fantastic it is. Uh, Very cool. So, that, that's a good book to read as well. And then there's some others. There's Dr. Chang, who's written some books. They're mainly from, they come a lot from the Asian culture. Uh, some of them are 6,000 years ago from a system called Taoism. Right. Uh, they're very spiritual, but they felt that sex was also very spiritual. The mm-hmm. Hindus did something with Tantra, uh, they call that. But, you know, I think that, you know, the people that do Kegel and reverse Kegel, they'll talk about just in terms of, hey, guys, you want to learn how to last longer in sex, you know, right. do this. Because uh, you really have to learn to last longer uh, before you can even get to this, because you got to build up the semen and build up the semen. And then 
it's kind of like an addiction. You have to give up the addiction to ejaculating for a few months, but also mm. having lots of sex. Then your body will have built up so much semen that you can start experiencing the arousal becomes so high, it becomes like these orgasms that you have and you become multi-orgasmic. And occasionally you can, you can ejaculate if you want. Yeah. Usually if I ejaculate, it was by mistake. <laughs> it just, okay. I, I thought I could hold it, I couldn't. So, But it, it shouldn't be a stress on the body. It should always just be gentle and gradual and building up. That's my approach. Cool. Very cool. So uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. There's so much more that I want to talk to you about. Hopefully we can have a round two, but just two quick questions for you before we wrap up. If you could have a drink with anyone in history, who would you choose and why? Well, I have a Christian background, so it'd be Jesus. Okay. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, uh, there's a, yeah, that's who I'd have a drink with. Very cool. No one said Jesus before. So yeah, I like it. Um, and what are your daily non-negotiables? Things that no matter what will always be done. Oh, meditation. Okay. Meditation. Uh, yeah. What does your meditation practice look like? Well, I started uh, 50 years ago with transcendental meditation. Uh, that's a good beginning process to do. Uh, what I do is my meditation is a prayer to God. Uh, I just say, dear God, my heart is open to you. Come, uh, bless this day. I need your help. Uh, and then I have natural, I have I offer flowers, I offer candle, I offer crystals. Uh, using these offerings, send your angels. And then I feel a wind blowing on me, which Christians would call the Holy Spirit. Uh, the uh, Indians would call prana, uh, air. The uh, Chinese will call chi energy, life force energy. It's just how different cultures have described it. And my little fingers are like antennas and the energy just flows into my body. You know, Jesus would do this and, you know, people don't understand what's happening, but he's using his hand as an antenna because that's how we touch. That's how we feel that it's just the turn on switch. Not that I have to use it, but it just, as soon as I do this energy comes down from the heavens, comes up from the earth energy and the thumb I'm sending out a blessing. So the energies come together through me and then I give blessings. So I go into this meditative state and I send blessings to all the people that read my books because I have more connection with them. Uh, I mean, I can send men, I do, can do the world, but you know, I have my people. <laughs> Anybody yeah. who reads my books, uh, and in my eyes, what's very interesting for me is sometimes if I start seeing all these faces, they just keep coming and coming and coming, and they're all the faces of people reading my books. It's hmm. very interesting to have millions and millions of people who read your books. Oh, I'm so. sure. Awesome, John. So tell me about the three-day relationship seminar you have coming up. I think it's October 11th, 12th, and 13th. I, I love teaching this class. Thank you for, for, for mentioning it. It's in the Bay Area. It's, uh, I spend, a, you know, they're not that big, maybe 30, 50 people. And you can be single, you can be in a relationship, you could be having big problems, you could just want to make your relationship better. There's people that are having challenges, they will come up front and I will work with them in a very efficient way. And everybody can see their own issues exaggerated. Because often you're going, don't you see what you're doing? And that mm -hmm. one person doesn't see it, but you see it in them and then you see it in yourself. So it really helps us to look at how we hold back from being loving, how to process our negative emotions so they're not throwing them on our partner. We're not buying into their reality, but we're able to embrace them like a child throwing a tantrum, learning to love yourself. Uh, we also learn the basic Mars-Venus ideas that we've been talking about in terms of not trying to fix her. She practices learning how to share her feelings 
without, you know, uh, wanting the man to make her feel better. Because ultimately, you know, when women get upset and talk, they always want to try to change you. And if anything they're doing to try to change you will cause you to go into defensiveness, mm -hmm. uh, particularly if they're upset. So women have to learn how to share feelings without trying to change the man. Men have to learn how to listen to feelings without trying to make her not have those feelings. And these, this all takes practice. It's like a non-doing doing. Uh, and then a little bit of meditation I teach as well. Very cool. Yeah. And for any interested listeners, just go to www.marsvenus.com slash list slash events. And John was kind enough to give us a discount of 25%. Just use the code 25 soulmate with a capital S. So John, where should people go to learn more about you and to work with you? Marsvenus.com. Just put it in your search engine. It will come up. Awesome. Any parting words for my listeners? Uh, well, you told me that I'm talking mainly to firemen and you have a very special place in my heart. Um, one time, my, my daughter, I was in Hawaii. I couldn't be with my daughter. She was just 22 at the time, and her house caught on fire. And she didn't even know, and the fireman saved her. And then she said, oh, wow. but my book, it's on the computer. And the fireman went back in to the firing house, the burning house, and saved her computer. <laughs> so she, she loves you, and I love you, too. And I thank you for all the work that you do. Well, this has yeah. been a great conversation. I learned a lot, John. Hopefully, we can do it again. Okay, sounds great. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to support this podcast by subscribing on iTunes and leaving me a review, following me on social media at Prime Philosophy, and just by spreading the word. Jacoba.